again, and welcome to episode 19 of We Effed Up. I'm Teresa. I'm Cody. And we're here to tell you about times in history when we, the collective we, effed up. But um, this morning, or this morning, um, today I'm going to start off a little bit differently because today is the day of recording is June 24th, 2022. And I just wanted to mention quickly that... Um, We acknowledge today is the day that Roe v. Wade was overturned by the Supreme Court and just wanted to say for everybody out there who values bodily autonomy and healthcare privacy and healthcare decisions and autonomy, um, we're very sorry. And we recognize that in 20 years, we probably will be writing an episode about this very day. Um, because we think uh, we think the Supreme Court effed up. I don't know how you feel about it, Cody, but I just wanted to address that off the rip. Yeah, uh, the latest in a string of Supreme Court f-ups, uh, including some recent rulings on gun control or lack of it. Uh, so yeah, uh, definitely Supreme Court, uh, a a an institution that is a master. Of effereppery. So, yeah, specifically six people on the court, including five men. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, yeah, just wanted to address that before we got started today that um, we do acknowledge that and we do realize that Roe v. Wade was an important part of history and 50 years worth of precedent was reversed today. Um, So keep an eye out for June 24th, uh, 2042. (laughs) Hopefully we'll be still still be doing yes, this. Yes, we'll be broadcasting from the future hellscape uh, that will result from uh, the, our, our inevitable uh, collective ride into the abyss. Hopefully our robot overlords will permit us to yes. continue recording. Um, robot overlords, we do uh, submit to you. We understand yes. we're not in control of our own well-being. We yes. clearly can't make decisions for ourselves. Um Anyways, we I digress. To, to paraphrase Kent Brockman, I for one welcome our new robot overlords. Yes. I was thinking Futurama, but The Simpsons works too. Yes. Okay, so what are we talking about today in today's episode, Cody? Uh, this is going to be the first, and I guess you could call like a little sub-series uh, of episodes we're going to do about Ireland. Are we doing them all in a row? No. Oh, okay. No, that would be too depressing. Oh. Um, Sorry, I'll Ireland. break them up. Uh, you, kind of a little inside baseball here. I I read I do the episodes. I research them in batches of five. Uh, just do them all over a course of you know a few weeks, a month, and that's enough to like give us enough of a cushion to where I can just not do anything for a month because I'm lazy. And yeah, that's pretty much it. But so I figure probably one out of every batch of five episodes we'll probably talk about it. Um, but yeah, so this one's uh, the first one, um, at least first planned one. Um, uh, really, this provides a lot of background for what will what will come. Okay. So, and, and, and I have to note, it's about Ireland. None of these are Irish. Well, all right, never mind. Forget, scratch that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. you, you'll be interested to know that. Uh, I heard somebody else say the phrase inside baseball for the first time today um, on the phone. And I was like, that's weird. I've said that numerous times. I know that, but I've never heard anybody else say it is what I'm saying. So you thought I was being weird. No, it's just one of those things where like if if you've only heard one person say a phrase, then they're still in the back of your mind. Like that's probably made up like par for the course. No, I knew that that was real. Steve was the mm-hmm. one who thought that that was not real. No. I said it. No, well. And he thought, because I said it all the time that it was made up, and then you said it, and you were like, see, it's not made up. Or, no, I was like, I, see, it's not made up, because Cody also says it. And then he was probably like, no, it's still made up. Anyway. Um, it's possible. You know, you know, Steve, stubborn to the end. Yes. Anyway, back to the subject at hand. Um, Ireland... Of course, is a country, is an island. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, Are we talking about anybody specific today? Because you didn't say you were just like we're talking about Ireland. 
I'll, I'll get to our F-Rapper. Okay. I'll get to him. But you need some, as always, you need background first. Mm. You, you need context. Mm. Okay. So Ireland uh, had varying levels of English influence before the 16th century. Um, a lot of kings would come over and campaign there just, you know, to win some military victories. Um, the lordship of Ireland was established in 1177, uh, which was kind of like an English uh, puppet regime, I guess you could say. Okay. Um, but never really controlled the entire island. Just varying levels of control over it. So they, like, sent people over there and established, like, a rule of law. Yeah. Well, well, the King of England was also the Lord of Ireland. So... All that all that Lord King yeah. stuff is like... Yeah, it, it's just kind of a, a way, like, oh, uh, I'm, I'm above all the Irish, native Irish nobles. But, like, like I said, oh. English never really fully control it. I'm Lord of Ireland, the highest lord of all the lords, even higher than the ones that have been here for hundreds of years, <laughs> for well, thousands I mean, of years. Ireland did have, like, a high king of Ireland for before that for a long time. Um, so the Lord of Ireland was higher than the high king. Well, that, that, like, the high king's basically gone by this point. Oh, my so, God. Um, Monarchies are confusing. Yeah. I'm going to make a t-shirt that says monarchies are confusing. <laughs> That should be our, that should be our first t-shirt. Monarchies uh, are confusing. Yes. Um, and it was centered around a region known as the Pale, uh, or the Pale of Settlement. Is that where Beyond the Pale comes from? Yeah, there's not enough solid evidence to make that firm conclusion, but yeah, the, the phrase Beyond the Pale basically is, a, for those who don't know what that uh, uh phrase means it's saying that something is so like out of the blue or so outside the bounds of acceptable behavior yeah yeah per, per uh dictionary oxford uh the oxford dictionary yeah and so it's possible that it comes from this because of course the english would see the people living beyond the pale as barbarians womp womp so Wow. Yeah. Like, you guys living over there who've established your own homes and rule of law, that's a ridiculous and absurd. Yes. We're coming into your country and, and telling you that. Yeah. For you. Um, but wow. Yeah, English rule is centered around the pale. Um, and as I mentioned, the Lord of Ireland was also the King of England. Uh, but Henry VIII, you probably heard of him. No. The one with all the wives. No. Yeah, he was the one who helped establish the Anglican church, right? Yes. Wanted to get divorced. Yes. Uh, he brought Ireland fully un under uh, English rule, suzerainty, and upgraded it to a kingdom in 1542 in order to bring more under English control and make himself a little bit more prestigious. So it's now the Kingdom of Ireland. So he's okay. now the King of England and the King of Ireland. Okay. Uh, okay. Doesn't seem necessary. Were there other lords vying for control of Ireland at that point? No. I okay. mean, native Irish lords, you know, they always rebel. It but... sounds better if I'm the king of England and the king of Ireland instead of the king of England and the lord of I Ireland. Mean, this is hundreds of years later, but I don't remember. Is it the 1870s, I think? It's sometime in the late 19th century. Uh,. Queen Victoria was declared Empress of India. Oh. Just, just, well, because now there was a German emperor and a Russian emperor and a French emperor. So it was like, well, I have to be an emperor too. <laughs> Titles are so. Because an emperor is technically above a king or a queen. Okay. Yeah, it's she dumb. can't. She couldn't be satisfied with like owning seventy five percent of the world. Yeah, <laughs> she yes. had to also I'm be emperor. Empress of Ireland. Is that what you think that Queen Victoria sounded like? Yeah. Do you think there's any recordings of her voice so that we could compare? We could have a side by side. Uh, you know, I I generally don't know if there are recordings of her or not. Well, she, she would have been around at the time. Yeah. So around that time, yeah. yeah. She Anyways. died in 1901, so maybe, I don't know, anyway, regardless, irrelevant. Okay. Um, so, there was a separate Irish parliament, 
aside from the English Parliament, but real power laid with the monarch's appointed governor. Because, of course, the monarch's not going to go over there themselves. So they're going to appoint a governor to actually rule in their stead. I want to be the king, but I don't actually care to, enough to do anything. I don't want to actually go there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but that's because at the time, British people just thought that they were the bee's knees. They were like, nowhere can be better than England. Mm. It's like, okay. Why be, why own anything else then? Yeah. Sorry. Uh, the English Reformation in the mid-16th century led to the first religious division between England and Ireland. Like you said, Henry VIII broke away from the Roman Catholic Church, and it wasn't immediately like, we are now Anglican. I mean, that the evolution of Anglicanism would take place over the next several decades, mm-hmm. um, especially under uh, Edward VI and Elizabeth I, became more flushed out, like, this is how we are different from Catholicism type of thing. Um, but Ireland, um, well, while Protestantism or various forms of it would take hold in England and Wales and Scotland, Ireland would remain uh, uh, predominantly Catholic. So, okay, so so not only was there, you know, the channel, I don't know, what's, what is the body of water between England and Scotland called? You mean England and Ireland? Yeah, that's what I meant. Because there's no body of water. I know, between. I know, same island. Uh, oh, Lord, uh... It's not the channel, because that's France. That's right? England and France. Yeah. Oh, Lord, my geography is failing me. Wow. Oh, it's just called the Irish Sea. Yeah, that's, that's what I was thinking, but like I couldn't, I didn't know for sure. But Okay, yeah. so the Irish Sea separates them, and now they also, although uh, united under the same king, they are now separated by two different religions. Yes. Okay. Uh, between 1550 and 1620, an English policy of colonization called the Plantations of Ireland was an attempt to replace the native Irish Catholic landholding class with English Protestants. Okay, so they just wanted to basically bump out everybody who is a landowner in Ireland? Yeah, who are Irish Catholics. So where were they going to go? Mm. Didn't matter. They could just <sighs> well, you know, they could work the land. The the whole policy of English displacement of native people <laughs> makes zero yes. sense. Yeah, it, it's it's not just in the Americas. We're, like, it's next door. <laughs> were they were they just gonna were they just like, oh I guess we'll just kill everybody? Or were they like, oh, they'll work for us? Or like, oh, we'll just drive them off the edge of the cliff. Who yeah. cares? So it's here's insane. a map of Ireland. So that red area right there, that's the pale. Okay. Uh this orange area was like an expansion of the pale. And you said that, that you said that that's where the The main area of like English settlement was. But, like, these areas here, the rest of these were the plantations. Okay. So, basically, just this little area in the west wasn't affected what, by what it. What about the green? Uh, the green um, were areas that were kind of left alone, but still under English control, largely. Wow. Um, and see, so you, you even see, like, some plantations, like, Scott, like some Scots were planted into Ireland. Are we are we going to figure out why they wanted to do this? Like, was it an economic reason? Was it like, oh, they have great farmland? It's really beautiful there? I mean, why does any one country invade another country? I mean, there's always a varying number of factors. Well, I mean, why did Britain invade India and create that as part of their, create an empire there? Economics. Access to, like, foreign... Trade and spices. So do you think that that was one of the reasons? Yeah, I would think so. I mean, if you... Like, as a monarch, if you kick out, like, a native landowning class and you replace them with your own people, they're going to pay you taxes. That's also going to create a pool of manpower for you to pull from when you fight fight wars, inevitably. I see. So, I mean, there's a myriad number of reasons. Okay. Okay. I'm, um, I'm down. I understand. Irish Catholics rebelled in October 1641, uh, fearing an increasingly radical uh, Protestant English Parliament. Okay. Because uh, again, these they're, divisions of like this religious division has now been there for a century, and they're very, very conservative. It seems yes. like right. Okay. Yes. Uh, the Irish Catholic Confederation was formed in May 1642, which also which also included some English Catholics in Ireland. Because like because like it wasn't when. Henry VIII split away from the Catholic Church. It wasn't like, 
okay, all English are now Anglican. Mm-hmm. You're still going to have English Catholics. Right. I mean, he even um, at, uh, executed one of his um, like top officials, Thomas uh, Cranmer. Or, uh, was it Cranmer? That's going to bother me now. A <laughs> uh, 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 quick history fact check. Do, 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 do. I think that Thomas Cromwell. Well, Thomas Cromwell. That's oh, it. yeah. The... No, no relation to Oliver Cromwell. Oh, okay. Darn. Yeah, Man, so... all these Cromwells, these British last names, they they yeah. stick. Yeah. So. Okay. But yeah, like he like he executed him because he refused to convert, basically. To the Anglican Church. Well, he he refused to take this oath to Henry. Oh. Yeah. So. It's a whole thing. It's not really relevant to this conversation. So, but okay, um, monarchies, man. Yeah, figureheads. So like, <laughs> and the English Protestants are getting more radical like this. So, oh, that's why these Catholics in Ireland are like they're going to come for us. They're like the Pope would never execute anybody, and then we could just list off all the people that popes have had executed. <laughs> uh, God, yes. <laughs> oh, Lord I can Almighty. just see like a little Family Guy cut away in my head. Like, yeah. Okay. Sorry. Um, like, Let's, Protestants are radical to Catholics. <laughs> a ceasefire with King Charles I in September 1643 left the Confederation in effective control of Ireland. Uh, and they eventually formed an uneasy alliance with the king and his forces against the forces of Parliament in the brewing wars of the three kingdoms. Oh, which gosh. I will circle back around to. Circle back. Yep, because, guess what, you need more background and more context of course. Yes. Of course I do. So, Thank you. Charles I, as I just mentioned, King Charles I of England. Was he the one in Robin Hood Men in Tights? No. That was prob- the, the Robin The king and the Robin Hood myths are usually either King Richard or King John. Who was the king that you just said? King Charles I. Oh. Not Charlemagne. Charlemagne was not a king of England. <laughs> I know that. <laughs> we literally talked about him in an episode. Mm-hmm. Yep. He was, Charlemagne, not the same. That's his Christian name. I know, I know. I'm, I am making my way back around. Do you listen to this show? Yes, I've listened to the show. Look, my history fact retain, retain percentage <clears throat> is, I was trying to think, like, retainment? Retainer? I don't know what conjugation of that verb you would... Regardless, I'm disappointed. Wait. wait. Uh, well, okay. You're the history expert here. For for context listeners, Cody reads all the books. I don't read any of them. I You barely even look at the notes beforehand because it's supposed to be secret. And you clearly so, don't listen to me. I, <laughs> I listen, but that doesn't mean mm-hmm. that it doesn't get forced out by all the other garbage I need to know mm-hmm. in day-to-day mm-hmm. life. Like mm-hmm. how not to die on mm-hmm. a regular basis. <laughs> so, King Charles. Okay. Now I know what I'm thinking about. the The name Charles is unlucky as for kings now, right? That's uh, why there Charles... have been two. Uh, we have this Charles who we'll talk about, and his son Charles II. We'll talk about also. Uh, then we may have Charles III here soon, but anyway. Didn't you say it was like kind of unlucky though? Like the name's not kind unlucky. of uh yeah. I mean he like they can always pick a different name if they want. So he doesn't what, have, he doesn't have to be Charles the third if he doesn't want to. What a flex to just be able to pick your own name. Yeah. Anyway, um so King Charles the first born in sixteen hundred and came to the throne in sixteen twenty five after the death of his father, King James the First. Charles and I know we've talked about this type of thing before. He was the monarch of England and Scotland and Ireland. Right. Okay. So they are all three, while they are technically separate countries, they all have the same monarch. Right. Okay. Kind of how we talked about in our William Patterson episode. Right. So. So random aside while I'm thinking about it, is is there a reason why it's called the King James Version of the Bible? Because he commissioned it. James the First. Yes. Okay. I have a random question. Yep. All right. Cool. Uh, Charles was a firm proponent of the divine right of kings to rule, as in 
God has appointed me to rule this country, I shall rule it. <laughs> so the idea of a parliament to serve as a check on the king's power was anathema to him. Yeah. That's because God picks the person. Yes. He doesn't want people to pick. Yes. Okay. Uh, while his father had held the same belief, Charles lacked the political aptitude that his father had, uh, which set him for up for a conflict with Parliament. Whoopsies. Now, something about Parliament, I have to kind of describe here. There's, you can use the word Parliament to describe the actual institution of the legislature. Like in current England? Yeah, or okay. like kind of how we have a Congress. Mm-hmm. Parliament is also refer like used to refer to the session. So you say like um this time they would give them like nicknames. Mm-hmm. Like there's one called the Long Parliament, the Rump Parliament. Okay. Um the Bare Bones Parliament. So it's like saying a uh, court like whoever is the supreme co- uh, or the Not really. It's like this specific session of the legislature. Okay. Kind of like how we how we do. So, like, a so, year? So, so, there's, like, the United States Congress. Uh-huh. Right now, we're in the 117th Congress. Oh, okay. Like, a con- like a term of Congress lasts two years. Right, right. So, okay, so, basically, it's just documenting a period of time, but ascribing a name to it. Yes. Okay. So, I just want to kind of put that out there. It's, like, it's the term parliament can mean different things. Okay. Um, depending on the context that you're using it in, but... So Too anyway. bad we don't get cool names. I would like a rump Congress. <laughs> or a do-nothing Congress. Yeah, that, well, that just, is, <laughs> that just describes the entire Congress. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry. Uh, Parliament had gradually accumulated powers over the previous centuries, including taxation powers. Um, so, like, it, it, it wasn't, like, Parliament accruing the powers that it has, like, now. Because mm-hmm. England does not have a written constitution. No, like we do. It's kind of just something that just kind of came together over centuries slowly. Like, Parliament gathered its powers slowly, basically taking its power away from the monarch or the aristocracy. But it just just took a very long time to do. It's very gradual. Mm. Um, Which is why you never really see, like, a violent... I mean, well, you kind of do in this instance. That's how England kind of ends up with a constitutional monarchy. Because it's like parliament just kind of whittled away at the monarch's power over a long time they're like just wait till the guy dies and then the next guy won't know that he doesn't do this anymore we'll just take it over <laughs> no I mean, it, so the magna carta isn't like a constitution for no. england no it was literally just an agreement between king john and his barons oh okay. but it was but it was very important because it it was like a it was a check on the monarch's power Okay. I mean, I mean, Magna Carta is like 400 years before this. Okay, so the, it was like the precursor to yeah. kind of like the the way that we do things now. Yeah, okay. like like it, it was really the first like cod- like one of the first codified like, hey, King, you can't do this. Okay. So I googled it first because I was like, I'm pretty sure is the Magna Carta British, and then I was like, yes, no, it's French. <laughs> And then I was like, because Magna Carta is Latin. I don't know. The Magna Carta is English. So I, I looked it up first yeah. before I asked the question. So I didn't look as stupid as I did with the also, Charlemagne comment. don't conflate British and English. Okay. Because British can refer to yeah, the Scottish, English or the yeah. Scotch or yeah. the Welsh. Yeah. Which in this time, remember, they are separate. England only. Yes. All right. Uh, anyway, at this time... Parliament was necessary for raising any funds that the monarch would need beyond what they could raise from their own sources. Because remember, the monarch is still, like, one of the largest landholders in the country, if not the largest. Mm-hmm. They still uh, acquire, like, a lot of revenue from their own sources. But if that's not enough for whatever they need to do, like, fight a war, put down a rebellion, whatever, they have to call the parliament to get taxes. Okay. But it's not like regular taxes come in, like... So it's not like giving 25% of your check toward, no, towards income no, taxes. No. It, it'd be like, all right, call all your rich buddies. They got to pay some taxes now. And typically when they would call, when they came and called Parliament, Parliament would be like, okay, we'll give you this tax money, but we want something in return. So this is how they whittle away at the king's powers. Oh, okay. So they'd be like, all right, well, we'll give you 500,000 pounds or whatever, but you're not allowed to appoint anybody to this anymore. Yeah. Okay. So, stuff like that. 
After a few short-lasting parliaments early in his reign, Charles refused to call another one after 1628, beginning the period known as the Personal Rule, or to his critics as the Eleven Years' Tyranny. So, so they just had the option to just not call Parliament? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, like he only, the Parliament was only called when the monarch needed it. They serve at the pleasure of the monarch. Pretty much. King. Whatever. Uh, This worked for a time until in 1637, uh, Charles tried to bring the liturgy of the Church of Scotland into line with that of the Church of England. Because Scotland at this time, it wasn't Anglican. Like, Anglican is very specifically English. Right. Um, Scotland, while it had had gone through its own reformation, it was more of a Calvinist um, form of Protestantism. Okay. Which I'm not going to get into the weeds on what Calvinism is. If you want to know, look it up. Okay. Um, Charles wanted to basically make them the same. Okay. Kind of unifying the religious side okay. of England and Scotland. So he's like, we're already separated by a border, technically. Yeah. It's like, Let's you already share separated. a monarch, you should share a religion. Which makes no sense. I don't understand the idea of wanting to force your religion upon somebody else. It yeah, makes zero sense. Yeah. Anyway, uh, the inevitable Scottish resistance to this led Charles to call a parliament in 1640 because he needed funds for an armed force to put down the unrest. After having been dismissed for 11 years... Parliament was in no mood to acquiesce to the king's request for funds without their demands being met first. Sure. Basically, look, you didn't call us for 11 years. We got some grievances we're going <laughs> to go over. We have a, an airing of the grievances yes. before we give you any sort of cash yes. or even move to get you cash. Yeah. Uh, the first thing, well, the first thing Parliament did was they resolved not to dismiss unless they, vote, they themselves voted for it. Because mm. usually the king dismissed the Parliament or dissolved Parliament. I see. Which, Ooh, interesting. Which okay. technically is still what happens today. So they have to decide. Yeah. Uh, but, or, or you but, mean... But, but the monarch does it on the advice of the prime minister. But, right. I was going to say, does the monarch even... It's yeah. really a formality at this it, point. Yeah, pretty okay. much. It would be a big stink if the queen was like, just dissolved it at random or refused to follow the advice of the prime minister. But anyway, um, back to the matter at hand. Relations deteriorated to the point that in January 1642... Charles attempted to arrest members of the House of Commons in the chamber itself. In in the chamber? Like, he well, walked into the House of Commons and basically presented an arrest warrant for several members of Parliament. And he had armed troops outside the door. Whoops. Which was basically, like, such a flagrant, like, violation of their rights to, like, meet and discuss things. And basically the monarchs coming in, like, hey, I'm going to take you, you, and you. Come oh, with me. Wow. Um, there's actually a custom that's still upheld to this day um, about uh, about the uh, the black rod. Basically, whenever Parliament is called into session, uh, because the monarch gives a speech from the throne saying, "Hey, this is what I want happening for this Parliament," um, and well, the the whole Parliament meets in the House of Lords, mm-hmm. including including the House of Commons. But the members of the House of Commons meet in the Commons room first. Mm-hmm. And to summon the House of Commons over to the House of Lords, there's this big old thing, because it's England and ceremony is very important, where uh, this person, this role known as Black Rod, will will start walking over to the House of Commons. And they will shut the door in their face. And they will literally take a Black Rod and beat on the door to, to, like, let me in, The the monarch is calling you over here. It's this whole production. Oh my god. This is like... It's like theater. There it it some, really is. It's like, even in court cases today, if you have a barrister or a lawyer that represents you in England, they still wear a freaking powdered wig. It is well, I don't know if it's powdered, but... They still wear a wig. Yeah. It's ludicrous. Like... Oh yeah. I just, like... It's unfathomable to me. I understand why judges wear their robes. It's like a uniform thing. It's meant to make them the uh, the the pre- the person presiding over the court is the same as any other judge across the country. It's like a unification thing. 
but wearing a wig and then having somebody beat on the door still it's like high political theater oh yes it's ridiculous anyways uh anyway uh war between charles and parliament was kind of unavoidable at this point in the ensuing first english civil war first which uh, lasted from august 1642 to june 1646 parliament emerged victorious with charles promising some concessions okay uh, par- part of Parliament's, that's hard to say, part of Parliament's success was because of the New Model Army, uh, let's learn the name of the New Model Army, formed in February 1645. Uh, the New Model Army was the first professional army in English history. Because professional armies weren't really a thing, or, or they weren't really widespread at this point. A lot of times it was like, you still have this sort of system of feudalism, where you have all these different aristocrats and you know like landowners and they would call their levies basically the peasants or the poor people who would work the land for them hey i need you to come fight for me so like mercenaries but they don't get paid kind of okay so it's like you call your levies like if you if you like you're a duke and your whole dukedom because like at this time you know a duke actually owned mm-hmm. their dukedom like all the people actually working the land Man, that's lame. Like, all the men, like, hey, you need to come fight. So it's this like a part draft. of your obligations. Like, this is how you have these armies form. Okay. But they would only be called, like, as needed. Like, if the king, if, if the country was going to war, or if there was a rebellion nearby, that's when that would happen. Like, they wouldn't have, like, a standing army. So it's like a draft. Kind, and then, yeah, kind of. You, yeah, you yeah. could. Yeah. Okay. Except worse. Um, so. Why is it worse? Because it's like, I mean, you're basically a slave. <laughs> And people who get drafted now aren't? They get benefits when they get out. Okay. <laughs> All right. So you're going to justify These people don't get way. benefits when they get out. Their benefit is, well, I guess you're right. It's the people working the land, not the people who own the land. Right. Okay. Gotcha. So, anyway. Um, yeah. Uh, da, 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 da. Uh, members of parliament were at this time barred from serving as officers in the army. Hmm, okay. Well, that was also kind of a way to prevent these aristocrats and these land, like these big like dukes and earls and stuff, from commanding these armies. You have members uh, of like because this time the one driving this is the House of Commons. Okay. It's not the House of Lords because okay. that's all aristocrats. The right. House of Commons is the one driving these confrontations. I see. And so this way, that way, you have actual commoners leading these armies. Okay. Um, but there was one notable exception. Oh, and we'll boy. get around to that. Uh, Charles' recalcitrance uh, led to the Second English Civil War, uh, which was fought from February to August 1648, so a lot shorter, mm-hmm. uh, because it went very badly for Charles. Oh, boy. Because he attempted to fight the English Parliament with Scottish forces. Remember, he's King of Scotland as well. So he's like, hey, hey, Scotland. Give me some troops so I can fight the English here. Okay. Which, you're using foreign troops to fight your own people. Yeah, it clearly not going to make him good. friends. No. Not going to make him any friends in his own country. Parliament decided to try the king for treason. Uh-oh. Uh, despite the kind of legal dubiousness of it. Because treason was defined as taking up arms against the king. <laughs> it's like, well, the king, I guess, took up arms against his own best interests. So. Yeah, yeah, so it's like, uh, yeah, like, there's probably, I think there's books out there just about the trial itself. Oh, it's a gosh. whole circus. Like, just it. That sounds dense. It is. Like, really, the whole English Civil War and all the related wars, it's a very dense topic. I am watering it down so much like <laughs> it's okay it sounds like it needs it <laughs> yeah it is like i tried to narrow it down so much but it, it's hard to do is it an exciting and sexy topic in history in world history i mean that depends or is it very procedural and like dry mm, a little calm a little calm b oh boy um we should make a tv show about it why don't you pitch that no Okay. All right. Rejected. <laughs> um, so after a week-long trial, Charles was found guilty and sentenced to death. Oh, boy. He was beheaded on January oh. 30th, 1649. I honestly was not expecting that. <laughs> yep. I'm a little shocked. 
Yeah. Okay. And and like at this point, you know, English monarchs, a few of them, they've been deposed uh, sometimes and died under mysterious circumstances, quote unquote. Um, but usually by other nobles, or mm-hmm. they've been killed in battle fighting against other nobles. This is like the first time the common people, or like the legislature, the parliament, rose up and said, and, and, and overthrew the king. So wow. that's the first time this happened in English, in, in the history of England. Um, so it's a big deal. Dang. Uh, his son, Prince Charles, had been taken to France. This is the future Charles II had been taken to France for his safety in 1646. Okay. Uh, after Charles I's uh, death, Scotland declared him King Charles II, and he returned to Scotland in June 1650. In May 1649, the English Parliament declared both the monarchy and the House of Lords abolished and established the Commonwealth of England. This included Ireland. <laughs> so Ireland's like, okay, guess, our, guess now we're part of the Commonwealth? Yeah. So, because I'm sure that they didn't pick this for themselves. Right? No, okay. um, but remember they did not include Scotland at this time. Remember they're all separate countries, so Scotland's still up north, kind of doing its own thing a little bit. So he's the king of Scotland, but Scotland's not a part of the Commonwealth. Correct. Like, because where they're separate countries, mm-hmm. the Parliament of England declared the Commonwealth, and that includes England and Ireland. Prince Charles. Charles' first son is now Charles II, but he's uh-huh. only king of Scotland. Wow, okay. It seems very confusing. Yeah, because the English Parliament didn't have authority over Scotland. How many people do you think messed up and they were like, and king of... Oh, no. <laughs> That's well, wrong. Well, well, he, well, if he's announced, uh, he would still claim all the titles. Uh, he didn't give them up willingly. Oh, boy. So. Okay. Yeah. So, um, and one of the leading parliamentarians and new model army officers was the effer upper of our episode, Oliver Cromwell. Man, it took a little bit to get there, eh? You needed all that content. You needed all that to understand what's going to happen. Okay. Um, remember the one exception I said where members of parliament could not serve as officers? He's the exception. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he was a special boy. Yeah. All right. Uh, he'd been born in April 1599 in Huntington, England. So he's about the same age as Charles I. Okay. So he's about, uh, you know, 50 years old this time. Uh, his family was not aristocratic, but they were part of the landed gentry. Like, they were basically just landowners, but they weren't nobles. Okay. So um, he had been elected to, to Parliament in 1628 and in 1640. So, like, one of the first ones that Charles I calls, and then the... That big gap, and then he's elected the one that's like, hey, we're ticked off. So Interesting. Okay. Uh, He began to really embrace Protestant beliefs in the 1630s. He hadn't, his religious views were kind of ambiguous before that point, but at this point, as he starts turning more, like, very, like, puritanical Protestant. Okay. Um, Because this is the era where you have, like, start getting Puritans and such. So, Um, like, really hard, uh, like, rule follower. Yes. Okay. Uh, He fought on the parliamentary side in the Civil Wars, and he established his military reputation in several major victories, despite having no previous military experience. Some people are just really good at it. Yeah, he he was, for all intents and purposes, very talented at it. He went to army, and he he won many awards. (laughs) That's why, well, that's why Parliament, like, even though he's a member of Parliament, they let him continue on as an officer because he was just that good. Ooh, okay. Uh, Or good at his job. Uh, He... Um, and really, I mean, he was protecting their own best interests, too. Yeah. So. Uh, he was the second in command of the New Model Army. Um, he took part in the trial of Charles I and was one of 59 people who signed Charles's death warrant, hmm. or what's called one of the 59 regicides. Regicides. And Cromwell became commander-in-chief of the New Model Army in 1650. So, didn't you say that Charles I appointed him? No. Oh, okay. The the parliament appointed him. Yeah. Okay, so he works for the people, not for the king. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He, okay. he is on the parliamentary side. Got it, got it, yeah. got it, got it. All right. So, so, now we get to the events at hand. By this time, Confederate... Remember, we're talking about Ireland here. Confederate forces controlled most of Ireland, with the exception of the area around Dublin. Okay. Remember, the Confederates are allied with the Royalists, or Charles I's faction. 
because it was kind of a lesser of two evils type of thing. Because uh, okay. they saw that the parliamentary forces were like these radical Protestant um, forces. And they're like, well, they are definitely going to screw with us. <laughs> we should probably ally with the king, support him, and he might give us some concessions down the road type of thing. Sure. But, of, of course, course, king loses. Whoops. So, um, and parliament itself, they were afraid that Charles II, because remember... He's still up there in Scotland, screwing around. <laughs> they were afraid that he could go to Ireland to force a two-front war. Oh, okay. So, like, because remember, they're fighting Scotland at this time. Mm-hmm. They also don't want to fight in Ireland. Well, yeah. So. These are places that are way too close to them. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Cromwell, who by now is, he was, remember, he's commander-in-chief of the army. He's one of the most powerful men in England at this point. Resolved to conquer Ireland to pacify it fully. And this is where I'm going to say he Fs up. Oh, boy. Yeah. Because he didn't necessarily... Like, they didn't have to go after Ireland. Mm-hmm. Like, they could have just said, okay, we'll work with you. You know? Because a lot of times, if you grant... Uh, yeah, sometimes in history, granting concessions, they might... You know, they there may be a situation where they bite the hand that feeds them, type of thing. Mm-hmm. But more often than not, if you... Give people some concessions. If you work with them, things usually turn out well. Or better, at least. You know, a negotiated settlement is better than bloodshed. It's just, yeah. So it just was not necessary to go to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, he had the full backing of Parliament, which also had financial motivations for it. Because uh, they had previously earmarked... Uh, earmarked funds for it. Uh-huh. Like, well, we got that money sent around. We got to use it. <laughs> uh, Cromwell landed in Ireland on August 15th, 1649 with a full force of the new model army. Oh boy. Uh, he moved north to ensure control of Ireland's east coast. Uh, he besieged the city of Drogheda, D-R-O-G-H-E-D-A. I apologize if I mispronounced that. In September 1649. Uh, the garrison refused to surrender. After taking the city, Cromwell ordered the massacre of the entire garrison. Over 2,800 prisoners were killed, along with over 700 civilians. Okay. Numerous atrocities occurred, including the burning of soldiers in a church and the wholesale slaughter of Catholic clergy. Okay. Yeah. I thought this guy was good at war. It sounds like he's good at just being a terrible butthead. He's good at the tactics of war. He's good at the strategy of war. He's not good at the mercy of war. Also, you pronounce that city Drahada. 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 Yep. Drahada. Yep, that's it. I apologize to our Irish listeners if they're Irish. Drahadian. Cromwell's fervent anti-Catholicism filtered down to his troops. Oh, boy. Uh, quote, directly from the horse's mouth, directly from Cromwell. Quote, I am persuaded that this is a righteous judgment of God on these barbarous wretches who have imbued their hands with so much innocent blood, and that it will tend to prevent prevent the effusion of blood for the future, which are satisfactory grounds for such actions, which cannot otherwise but work remorse and regret. So, so he is like, man, those Catholics are really bad, and they've done such bad yeah. things. So, in retaliation to right those wrongs, we're going to do really bad yeah. things to them, and, and to prevent those wrongs from happening in the future, we're we're going to preemptively kill them to stop them from killing in the future. Yeah, it's so stupid. It's just it's unnecessary. Religion. Yeah. What are you going to do? Yeah. Another atrocity was the sack of Wexford in October 1649. Uh, Cromwell's troops stormed the town while it was in the midst of surrendering. Around 2,000 were killed. Wow. That's garbage. Yep. So, people who already were, you know, pretty much messed up, the entire country was messed up by this this army that came over Mm -hmm. and they're like in the middle of surrendering like, please don't kill any more of us. We we just want to live. And he's like, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Cromwell's only regret was that he could not winter his force in Wexford due to battle damage. Like, the town was so damaged, he couldn't put his army there for the winter. Wow. What a shame. Yeah. 
Gosh, that was sarcasm. Yeah. After several more defeats, the Confederate coalition uh, began to collapse in mid-1650. Cromwell returned to England at that time in order to prepare for an invasion of Scotland to preempt an invasion of England by Charles II. We're going to invade us? We're going to invade you first. First. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Command was left to Cromwell's son-in-law, Henry Ireton, but he died a few months later. Uh, and was in turn succeeded by Charles Fleetwood, who led mopping up operations. Wow. Uh, the final defeat in May 1652 at Galway led to the Confederate collapse. Uh, guerrilla warfare continued, but the conflict was largely over by April 1653. So Cromwell's forces won then? Yes. Okay. Yep. For some reason, I assume that because he's the F for Epper, that he was the one who would end up winning or prevail, or, uh, or sorry... I thought that he was that forever. He was going to lose. No. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, some pictures here. There, there's Charles I. Oh. Attractive man with his slippers. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's one of the first things you notice on that thing. It's like, what are those? <laughs> his pointed beard. Yeah. Well, everybody had a forked beard back yeah. then. That's, like, pretty common. The The hair and the yeah. beard was pretty there's common. There's Cromwell. Okay. All right. Well, he looks like a Puritan. Yeah. He's wearing the collar. Yep. Got it. So, uh, the Rump Parliament, this is what this parliament is nicknamed, the Rump Parliament, passed the Act for the Settlement of Ireland in August 1652. The Act pardoned rank-and-file soldiers who had served in Confederate armies, mm-hmm. but excluded the leaders of the initial 1641 rebellion. Numerous Irish, Numerous Irish and Catholic aristocrats and Catholic clergy. They were to be executed if captured. Oh, boy. Irish landholders lost approximately two-thirds of their land. What? <laughs> Much of the landowning class was forced to move to Connaught in the west of the country. Okay. The confiscated land was given to English Protestant settlers. Over 10,000 would take advantage of this. So you have 10,000 wow. English Protestants moving over to Ireland to take this land that was taken from the Irish Catholics. Before the wars, Irish Catholics owned approximately 60% of the land in Ireland. After the act, they owned about 8%. You don't even have a country anymore. No. Wow. Uh, and I'll give you a... Was it, so this you said that this at the beginning of the episode this was kind of the start of like a long history of England messing with with uh, in a, in Ireland. a very significant way like they they'd been messing with Ireland for centuries at this point I was just about to ask I was like this probably wasn't the first time where they like took an interest in whatever they had but this is like the first like or one of the, one of the first like wholesale like full scale like we are taking all of you. Okay, I see. So. Okay. Um, approximately thirty to 40,000 soldiers died during combat operations. From both es- sides? Uh, yeah, from both sides. Okay. Estimates for civilian casualties range from 200,000 to 700,000. How many people live there? I didn't really have a population estimate for this time. Huh. Um, thousands were sent to the Caribbean to work as indentured servants. Wow. Like, literally, they, they enslaved the Irish and sent them to the Caribbean. Wow. Yeah. Okay. While thousands more would flee to exile in Europe. So, okay, so I, <laughs> I was conflating Europe and England, and I was like, why would they go to England? That's a terrible idea. But they went to other parts of Trust Europe. Trust me, like if that. you ask, ask uh, definitely some Brexiteers, if you confuse Europe with England, they will probably punch you in the face. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Yes. Got it. So they like to think that England is not part of Europe. So, so Ireland, Irish, the Irish went to other places in yes. Europe. Okay. Uh, Cromwell invaded Scotland and defeated Charles II at Worcester in September 1651, forcing him to flee into exile and bringing Scotland into the Commonwealth. Oh, okay. So it does eventually get forced into this. Interesting. Cromwell, uh, now, now at this point, like, the executive, because... The king was like, you know, thinking of the king as the executive branch, mm-hmm. um, which I guess technically is what they are today, um, still. But replacing that was like something called the Council of State. Okay. So you still have Parliament as a legislature. You have this Council of State as the executive kind of sort of situation, not entirely, but okay, that's kind of what it serves as. 
Cromwell forcibly dissolved the Council of State in April 1653 and was appointed Lord Protector of the Commonwealth. Okay. Basically had all the powers of a monarch. Just He was, he was a king in all but name. Yeah. Okay. He, and he effectively ruled as a military dictator. So he became what he most hated. Yes. Wow. Yep. Wonder if God wanted that too. No, no. <laughs> Did he ever write anything? I wonder if he wrote about it. Uh, I didn't find anything. Possibly, you know, but I. It's really common, though, amongst those like male dictators who start as military commanders and then later become leaders of countries, where they just get so high on their own stuff that they just can't even see reason anymore. I mean, you could say Gaddafi is a similar situation. Like, well, it was a quote from Batman: "You live long enough to see yourself become the villain." Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, yep. Uh, he effectively ruled as a military dictator until his death in September 1658, when he was succeeded by his son Richard. Uh, Richard, however, did not have the loyalty of the army, nor the political aptitude of his father, and was, was removed by the New Model Army in May 1659. So isn't King Richard... No. Uh, that's a Shakespeare play? King, if you're referring to King Richard III, oh, okay. this is not him. Okay. King Richard III was uh, about... Uh, Two, uh, not quite two centuries before this. Okay. He was the found. He was the one who was his remains were found under a parking lot, like about right. ten years ago. We were just talking about that. Okay, yeah. got it. Uh, Parliament asserted its power again and reinstated the monarchy and offered the throne to Charles II, who accepted, and he returned to England in May 1660. Okay, so it's all for nothing. It's all political theater. High political theater. High political drama. Yep. Wow. Hundreds of thousands dead. Uh, some restitution would be made to Irish Catholics in 1662, but after another rebellion in 1691, those gains were reversed. Uh, Catholics would be stripped of their property and political rights, not recovering them again until their property rights were regranted in 1778. Okay. And their political rights were restored in 1829. Jesus. Okay. Yeah. And here I have another picture for you this map of uh catholic land ownership in ireland that's before and that's after wow so is this the same king richard that did the crusades this is not king richard i thought you said king richard no that he was no this is richard Cromwell. like that was richard cromwell richard cromwell okay. his son richard cromwell you i thought you said his son richard and i was like oh you mean charles ii's son richard no no king no, richard. no no okay no no no, no, no. i'm sorry I'm. I got it. We're. I'm back. I'm back. Richard the first was in like 500 years before this. Yeah, he died in 1199. Whoops. Yeah. He he. Richard the Lionheart. Um. Anyway. Um. That's the one from Robin and Benedict. Yes. That's why I was like, wait, what? Okay. Cromwell's conquest of Ireland and repression of Catholicism led to the further development of Irish nationalism. Mm. Uh, which would be a thorn in England's side for the following centuries. Okay. Uh, some historians have actually attempted to justify or mitigate Cromwell's actions. Mm-hmm. Because uh, they just, they're just like, oh, well, well, he wasn't doing anything different than other people did at the time. Which, I'm going to get on a soapbox here for just a moment. Uh-oh. Watch out. Everybody protect yourself. Just because it was a, just because it was a common thing to do at the time... Doesn't mean it was not a horrible thing to do. Slavery was a common thing in the American South in the 18th century. So you know, but everybody be like, but that doesn't mean it wasn't horrible. Yes, like you can have someone be significant and do great things, but they can still do horrible things. Like George yeah. Washington, yeah, great, like great leader of this country. One of the most important Americans who has ever lived, you know, set a lot of the foundations for this country and how it functions, how it tries to function, you know, um, unquestionably, you know, great man. Mm-hmm. Uh, great as in, you know, impactful, not long, great as Long-lasting yes. impact, yeah. But he owned slaves. Right. 
I hate it when people try to reduce historiography and biography to a zero-sum game. Yeah. Someone bringing up the fact that he owned slaves is not taking away from all of those other great things he did. Mm-hmm. So it, it's like, you, everybody has a good side and a bad side. Everybody has good things, everybody has bad things. Some do more good things than bad things, some do more bad things than good things. It's okay to talk about both of them. Talking about one does not mitigate everything that they did for the other. Sure, yeah. So, it, it, so I, it drives me batty when people try to bring up the argument, oh, well, it was common at the time. Okay, well, it was still awful. Yeah. No, you're totally right. So, um, stepping off my soapbox. <laughs> uh, but um, most historians do agree that Cromwell was coldly brutal at best and partook in ethnic cleansing and genocide at the worst. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean... He specifically was creating a, a religious war against a people specifically because that they, they were part of a religion that he didn't agree with. Yeah. And it, it was for no other reason. I mean, he even said that. He even said that, you know, he, he wanted to preserve further generations from the atrocities that the Catholic Church has committed. But it's also like, but they're just people. They didn't commit these atrocities. They don't act under the same... It, it's strange because when you think of the Catholic Church, you think like Rome, mm -hmm. and you think of Italy, and you think of like all of the, the like gr grandiosity of the Catholic Church in Rome and Italy, but that is not at all the same as Irish Catholic. No. Like the way that the church is developed apart are two very, very different things. And then the people who lived in Ireland who who had this religious genocide committed upon them were in very different states than Roman Catholic. Mm -hmm. So I think people hear Catholic as an umbrella term and they're like, oh, well, it's this Catholicism. They think Roman Catholic. They don't think Irish Catholic. But yeah, the, I mean, he committed a relig religious genocide. Yeah. He... I mean, that's literally it. That's why he did it. It was, I mean, because it didn't really further England's with the exception of gaining that land in Ireland, which I'm sure that... Yeah, it, it created... Well, as I mentioned, like, it really kind of... It doesn't kickstart it, but, like, it, it provides fuel to Irish nationalism. Cause mm -hmm. it, because all of these people who are being persecuted, you know, varying degrees of how Catholic they are, you know, how religious they are. All these disparate areas of Ireland... They all kind of unite under this common Irish identity. Yeah. That, hey, we are under threat here. They want to wipe us out. Yeah. Because previously it was kind of like... I don't want to say it wasn't a wipe-out type of situation, but it was like a, they just want to control the situation. Which, right. between the two, is the better one, I guess. But, like, in this instance, it's like, oh, they are literally wiping us out. Yeah. And they, 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 they literally want to erase us from the map. And it's easy to see, even if you're not religious or you're a part of a different religion, when you see other folks around you who maybe they do, maybe they don't ascribe to being Irish Catholic, when you see them getting, lit, like, a genocide literally happening right in front of you, it would be really easy to... Uh, to become an Irish nationalist and say, well, hey, we're just trying to advocate for our continued survival. Like, we don't really care about religion. We just want to continue to survive. That's all we're asking for at this point. Right. So, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty always in these situations. But if you put yourself in the shoes of somebody during that time period, it would be like, well, yeah, you want to band together because you don't want English ownership of your land. Your families, your, you know, your people have lived here for hundreds of thousands, you know, wh whatever, hundreds, thousands, not hundreds, hundreds of years, thousands of years, however long, you don't want to be displaced. You don't want to be murdered for simply living in a place that you have chosen to live or ended up living in. So right. yeah, that's tough. Yeah. Um, as I said, this is kind of the genesis of a lot of what would come in the future. Um, yeah. Because the next Irish episode is uh, probably going to deal with 
the actual union with um, with Britain. Because um, remember, Ireland is still like after the Commonwealth is re replaced again by the monarchy, it goes back to separate countries. Okay. One monarch. But it's so much political machination yeah. and so many people dead for just not actually moving yeah. forward at all. Yeah, but eventually um, they do unify. Or unification is, I don't want to say forced upon them, but provoked, let's say. Mm. Um, but we'll we'll get into that in that episode, which is not the next episode. Uh, but well, before I get to that, let me name off my sources here. Okay. Uh, two books from Martin Bennett. I found them very useful. Uh, one just called Oliver Cromwell from 2006, and the other one was called C The Civil Wars Experienced, uh, Britain and Ireland, 1638-1661 from 2000. Uh, from Ian Gentles, The New Model Army, Agent of Revolution from 1994. Padraig Linehan, Consolidating Conquest, Ireland, 1603-1727 from 2008. Sean O'Callaghan, To Hell or Barbados, The Ethnic Cleansing of Ireland from 2000. And Michael Osiakru, um, S-I-O-C-H-R-U, I don't know how to say that, uh, I apologize. Uh, God's Executioner, Oliver Cromwell, and the Conquest of Ireland from 2008. Wow. So. Um, random bit of trivia, did you know that Charles II had a bunch of illegitimate kids? Oh yeah. He famously had like, like a dozen illegitimate children, but no legitimate children, which is why he's succeeded by his brother. Yeah, so yeah. for I just read eleven, but yeah, he he had eleven illegitimate children, which probably is why uh, you know Prince Charles, like our Prince Charles, mm -hmm. modern day Prince Charles, does not want to be called. Maybe might not pick Charles because the pre two previous one, one he got beheaded mm -hmm. by Parliament, the other one was a notorious philanderer, mm -hmm. which I'm sure is not a comparison he wants. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, especially considering his own philandering uh, in the past. Yes, yes. So, so random question. A lot of these kids have the last name either Fitzroy or Fitzcharles. Why is it like that? And why is the capitalization like that? Do think you know? of I don't know why about the capitalization, but okay. think of it as in Game of Thrones where if you're a bastard and you're born in a certain area, you're just given a lot like Jon Snow. Oh, okay. It's to say like son of the like son of the king, basically. Roy is the king, right? Yeah. Okay. Like, son of Roy, or son of the king, or Fitz James, son of James. Fitz Charles, son of Charles. It's weird, though, because some of them are Roy. Fitz Roy, Fitz Charles. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know why he picked the names for his children, but anyway. Well, I was just, I like, uh, the only reason I even looked at it is because he had a daughter named Larry, Lady Mary Tudor, and Tudor is just a, you know. That was the previous English dynasty. Yeah, exactly. Um, But, yeah, so... Countess of Derwentwater. It's also interesting that each of them had a title. Yeah, he, even he, though they're yeah, he, he ennobled all, like, a lot of them. He didn't have to, but oh, he did. Oh, okay. Charles Fitzroy, second Duke of Cleveland. <laughs> Anyways, sorry. So, uh, what, what are we talking about for episode... Uh, episode 20? Uh, we're getting back to something that's more my bread and butter. No. Rowan's. Rome, okay. Oh, cool. yeah. Yeah, there's so many... So many Roman emperors just, just uh, the God decisions they him. make, like are just. I love Roman history partly because it's amusing, ridiculous. Yes, there's literally. <laughs> tell them about uh, Totalis Rankium. Oh yeah, uh, one of. The, it's not like they need us to promote them. No. But... <laughs> Or Why any, not? Or, or anyone needs us to promote them, but uh, yeah, uh, to tell us rank him. If you if you like Roman history and you like a comedic take on Roman history, go listen to them. They're hilarious. It's hilarious. Um, what specifically about Rome are we talking about? Uh, we're going to be talking about the Gothic invasions. Ooh, the Visigoths. Well, just the Goths at this okay. point, but but yeah, uh, you know, uh, and basically an army of pale. Uh, Shut up! Uh, you uh, failed at the joke already. You failed at the kind, joke. Kind of emo looking, uh, heavy black eyeshadow. Yeah, like massive black boots, all black clothing, just an army of them invading Roman territory. Cody, you so you've like, pushed mm. it too far. You've pushed it too far. 
You've lost well, everyone. Yeah, they're all just singing like a, I don't know. Oh my god. Like a Marilyn Manson song or some shit. Wow. I'm a goth and I don't ascribe to Marilyn Manson anyways. Nobody should that's, anymore. But... That's not the goth that he's talking about, clearly. Oh, no, 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 that totally is. Yeah, okay. it's totally them. Well, so we're talking about 80s Britain then? 80s England? Sure. <laughs> that's the goth invasion. Sure. Okay. <laughs> no, but yeah, uh, yeah, no, the, the gothic people, their invasion of the Eastern Empire and specifically the Battle of Adrianople. Please don't forget to check out our sister projects, or mostly my sister projects. Uh, the YouTube show, The Drunken Pond, which is produced by myself and hosted by our co-producer, Steve, on this podcast, um, where we drink beer and play board games. It's a great time. Uh, Attack of the Final Girls, which is a horror review podcast, uh, which is co-hosted by myself and my lovely pod wife, Juliet. Uh, Three Minute Movies, which is a YouTube channel where I attempt to summarize and spoil movies in three minutes. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our show so we can stay on the charts. Check us out on Twitter and Instagram at WeEFTUP. I'm Teresa. And I'm Cody. And this is WeEFTUP. We